morning, church. As Charles said, I'm Buddy Sampson. I, um, I am a associate pastor of Overland Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, that you all so generously support and get behind in your resources and missions teams. And this morning, as you all baptize someone, not to sound competitive, we're baptizing three people at Overland Church in, in Fort Collins this morning. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just been a really sweet thing to see the Lord's work there. And as our church has grown, my family and 20 or so people from our church are being sent to Durango, Colorado to plant Overland Church in, in, uh, in Durango there and really looking forward to that. Just a couple quick things um, by way of almost update. This weekend with your students has been just remarkable for me. It has just built me up. Getting to hear the questions and the conversations has been inspiring. And I want to tell you, um, without saying too much, I think you can really judge the sharpness of a weapon um, by the kind of concerns that they have about their own faith. And you guys have some sharp swords in this church that are young people um, that we want to really raise up to go into this community and, and reach people for, for Jesus' sake. And so I just want to, I just want to commend them. This week's been awesome. I've, I've had so much fun and uh, I'm excited to get to open the word with you all today. So just a few things. I have a wife, Brooke, and I have five children. Um, 16, 14, 12, 10, and 7 years old. We are literally moving in two weeks. While I've been here, um, in between doing preparation stuff and sitting on the really nice couch in Adam's basement and getting to watch NCAA basketball a little bit here and there, my wife has been packing a 16-foot trailer with our belongings from our house, so pray for me when I get home, and more importantly, pray for her um, during this time. So I'm excited to get to talk to you. I'm going to pick up the text, and if you have your Bibles, I'll go ahead and let you get there, and, and I hope that you do. I'm in I'm in Luke chapter 5, uh, Luke chapter 5, and the title of this sermon is simply Put on Jesus and Live, and I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to get to talk to you all about this, because this is obviously a topic that's very near to my heart, and, and when we were working with the students today, Charles said something that really kind of, uh, kind of serves the rationale for a message like this, and it's, he prayed this Bob prayer, and I might butcher it, but it was... Um, what was the first one? Belief, opportunity, boldness. Boldness, opportunity, burden. We want to be bold, we pray for opportunity, and we want to feel the burden, right? We watched that little bumper video, same concept. And I'll just tell you that this sermon is largely about opportunity and, the, and a combination of that and the burden. So let's, let's, let's open the word today, and we're going to pick up in verse 27 of chapter 5. And this is, so to catch you up here in the, in the book of Luke, Jesus has been performing miracles, and he's calling his disciples, right? That's kind of where we are. He's done some things. He's revealed who he is in these miracles, and he's called his disciples. And this is where he calls Matthew, and that's going to take us through the remainder of the chapter. So let's start in verse 27, and it reads, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. Leaving everything, he rose, and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. My first big idea, my first point I want to make from this text is that Jesus is the model for and the subject of your ministry, your ministry. As a kid that grew up in the Church of Christ experience, we call the people that stood at this pulpit ministers. Now, this is kind of fun for me to stand in the first Southern Baptist Church of Smyrna, Georgia, because I was raised to hate Southern Baptists. I'm not kidding. And my family is like, you're a Southern Baptist and it's, it's a big deal in my life, let me put it that way. And I, they say, what happened? And I said, well, I read the Bible. Now, that's the last thing I'll say about that. But here's my point. This person was the minister, and we were just the flock. And it wasn't until later in life that I realized, wait a second. It says in Ephesians that we at the pulpit and in, in the classrooms and in leadership equip the saints for the work of ministry. You are the ministers, right? You're the ministers. And I think it's critical that you see that on the front end and that you know that the way that we equip you all as ministers, and you're not my flock and I'm not your pastor. I'm merely a, a preacher of God's word today, but I know your pastor as well. And it's a fun, just so you can have the full connection. I was a high school principal in Frankfort, Kentucky, and I started going to Buck Run Baptist Church where I met Adam 
and Jeff had just left when I started going to church there, and church changed my life, and I left and resigned from the principalship and went into ministry with Zach Thurman and moved to Fort Collins. That's kind of how that worked, and the Lord, the Lord was good to do it. That's my connection here. But what I've learned is that we need to equip you for a couple of things, and it's first of all to know that you have the Holy Spirit, and number two, it's to help you lean on the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's giftings for how you carry out ministry in your life. And when we look at this text, there's something I think we fail to do sometimes as Christians, and that is, and I'll just tell you, I, I grew up in a camp where doing what Jesus said was all that mattered. Very legalistic. You do what he said or you're in big trouble, okay? And then since going to Buck Run, I, the pendulum swung for me, and I think it made sense to, you better know who he is and what he's done, right? Now, both of these things are true, and there's like a false dichotomy here, but there's a third category that I think we overlook sometimes, and that is we should look at how Jesus did ministry. And let's replicate that. Now, I'm not suggesting you leave here and go find a synagogue and open the scroll of Isaiah, and, and that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting that you, you know, park your boat on the side of the Chattahoochee River and, and yell at people on the shores. I don't think that exact methodology will work, but I think we look at Jesus as an example and say, how did he do ministry? And I don't want to oversimplify this, but I just want to be clear. He, he ate with sinners. He ate with sinners. And listen, his disciples were eating and drinking and being merry and excited to tell people about Jesus. Now, I, haven't, I don't know a lot, but I've heard about the retreat from Adam a little bit, and I think it's so interesting that there was this real priority on putting on seeing the goodness of Lord in, in the sharing of a meal together what that means, how we are to eat together and be happy. And I just want to say that should exist in the context of the church regularly. And it should also exist with sinners in your neighborhood. We should be eager to tell people about Jesus. Brooke and I have had a ton of sinners in our house. In Fort Collins, Colorado, in our cul-de-sac, it was a piece of cake. And we rallied a lot of people to come eat with us. And we had some, some interesting people. They kind of ran the gamut. We have very wealthy families put together well, obedient kids, nice people that don't know Jesus in our house. And we've had pregnant, meth addict, homeless women in our house. One of which who ended up having her, I met this girl this way, I'm in Old Town, Fort Collins, and if you've ever come out with a mission team, you know Old Town. And she says, hey, sir, you got a second? Yeah, yeah, what's going on? I'm not going to lie to you. I need five bucks so I can buy weed. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to give you five bucks to buy weed, but I'll give you my phone number. And we could have dinner. And she said, okay. Took my phone number. 15 minutes later, is this really Buddy? Yes, this is really Buddy. I think she wanted to make sure I hadn't, like, one line to her. She ends up at our house for dinner that night. She ends up having this child, and my wife ends up borderline raising this child and, and mentoring her in this relationship. And here's my simple point. We got to have her in our house and got to tell her about Jesus, and she came to church on a couple of occasions, and she's not a believer. Um. Met a guy at Gateway Nature Area up the Poudre Canyon in fly fishing Mecca. And I, this guy needs Jesus. I talk to him. I tell him about Jesus. You need to come to our house and you need to have dinner. And he says, okay. And he gets there. And 20 minutes into being there, he's like 25 years old. He's stoned out of his mind. He's doing, walking on his hands around my living room. My kids are loving it, right? They're like, this guy's amazing. And I'm looking at my wife like, what have we done? What have we done? And I'm feeling the tension. And it's uncomfortable. And listen, most of those relationships are really uncomfortable, but I, I can't help but think that Jesus was prepared to be killed for this, right? And I'm worried about a little discomfort of somebody that makes it pretty awkward in my, in my living room, and I feel convicted about it. And listen, I think we should be eager to tell people about Jesus. And this is where I, I just want to branch this into two quick areas. As they sat there, and they were with these people together, and they were joyful. <clears throat> I don't think they had to be convinced to talk about Jesus. And I say that because, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> as a salesman, you guys, I, I do sales for software, and that's what supports our family, okay? And I've been a salesman my whole life. When I was a principal, I tried to sell good ideas to my faculty. And now I sell some software stuff. And I actually, I'm wearing a pair of pants called Prana Brand. Is anybody familiar with Prana Brand pants? They are the best pants ever created. I sell them to everybody I know. I don't make any money from it. They just, they are superior pants. The way that they're stitched for men particularly, it's amazing. Change your life, okay? I sell things. And you know what I sell the most, or at least try to? Jesus, because I'm, exci I'm an excitable guy. And when I get to talk to people about Jesus, I don't have to have somebody stand by and convince me. Now, I want to be careful here because I know for a lot of you, it's like, well, I don't, I'm not sure what to say. 
And what I will offer you right now as the first solution is to talk to the students in your 6 to 12 student ministry and ask them what to do. Because they know. After this weekend, I believe they would be able to sit down over dinner with someone and have a conversation and end up talking about Jesus. Okay? So fast forward just a little bit, and I wanna, this is where I want to lower the, lower the temperature about this so it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm yelling at you to have people over to your house to talk about Jesus because I kind of am. Here's what I want to say. Remember, you have the Holy Spirit who is competent to carry out this ministry in your home over dinner. And remember that your job is to save zero people. You are simply a mouthpiece, and the Lord will do his work. When we moved to Fort Collins, my son Seth said to me, he's four years old, I'm taking him to Steenbridge Academy in Frankfurt. He's in the back seat in his car seat, and he's tiny, and he goes, Dad, we moved to Fort Collins to tell people about Jesus, and nobody listens to us. And I said, well, Seth, you know, the Lord's called us there. People are going to listen to us. You know, the harvest is plentiful. It's ripe. We're going to go out there, and they'll listen to us. I keep driving. He sits there quiet, and then he says, yeah, but what if nobody does? I had to check my heart. What if nobody does? Am I going because I'm looking at the success I'm going to have? Do I have people in my house to tell them about Jesus for the sake of the success I might have? Or am I merely going because the Lord says, tell people about Jesus? Is, that, is obedience sufficient for me? Because I'm an athlete and I am a winner. That's how I do things. I try to win. I went to the University of Kentucky. We only talk about basketball, not football, in my home. We, we're winners, right? And the last few seasons, not even that. But we, we have to get our posture right about why we do this. And this is the last little anecdote and we're going to move on. I have a former student. His name's Noah. Love this kid. He ends up in my office the first time because he bubbled cuss word on his state testing answer sheet and he gets sent to my office and we're talking and I'm like dude he's so smart you're so smart what are you doing man and he's like listen this test is for the man I hate the man and I was like I like your thinking we're gonna have to talk more and we did we had great conversations started coming to my bible study on a pretty regular basis he would call me at 11 o'clock at night and say can I come over his parents were both addicts he was a living with his grandmother who was senile and it was a sad situation. And he would come to my house, we would talk, and I watched this kid just grow. He, this was back in 2017. He called me uh, last week when I was in Durango and said, do you have a second? I said, yeah, we FaceTime. He looks terrible. I said, dude, what's going on? He said, well, I burned my feet at work, and I went to the hospital and found out I have kidney failure, and they're 90% not functional. I'm on dialysis, 25 years old. And I said, dude, are you serious, Noah? And he said, yeah. So I immediately said, shoot me straight, man. How's your spiritual life? So I'm still agnostic. And I said, okay. And he said, I just want five years, you know. I can just have five years of a normal life. I'll be okay. And it just broke my heart hearing him say that. And I went on to say, can we do something together? Can we read a book together? He's like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. I said, let's read a book. Let's talk every week. You pick the first book. And he picked something, something in the crucible. I don't know. And I said, okay, we're going to read this book. And he, I said, but I get to pick the second book, right? And he's like, yeah, sounds good. And you know what book I'm picking? John. There's the book. We're going to read John, and I'm going to pray, Lord, do something. And here's the point. I'm 25 years old, and so far, to me, it feels like I failed, right? He's on dialysis, and I feel like I failed. And I have to remind myself, my job is to be obedient and have people to my house and eat dinner with them and tell them about Jesus. Now, let's move on. Starting in verse 34, and Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. Now, here's my next big idea. Jesus is God, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, this looks at first like a mere wedding illustration. Um, people don't fast at weddings, right? You eat too much food at weddings, and then cake on top of that, right? That's what tends to happen at a wedding, and that's what we want. So this is celebratory, and that's probably what they would think at the first place, but then he says this weird sentence of until the bridegroom is taken away, and this is what I think is important for us to know and see, is that when Jesus is saying these things to the Pharisees, he is saying more, most of the time, than what you get out of the text as a 21st century Gentile. Okay, and here's what I mean by this. Let me, let me make a quick book recommendation, which I feel like I always end up doing. Sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus, you should look it up, don't do it right now, don't open Amazon. I'll say it again at the end. Sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus, this book is about exposing Jesus in the Gospels through the perspective of a Hebrew who would have 
seen and heard what Jesus said and did. And here's the illustration they give. When you're in a boat, if you're looking down and you see, if anybody's ever been like over the coral reef, Brooke and I got to do this for our honeymoon in Key West. We're in the boat, you see the coral and reef, and you're like, wow, there's the coral reef, and it's foggy. But if you snorkel, you can see the coral reef, and you're like, wow, that's beautiful. But if you scuba dive, you see that it's alive, right? Because you're looking at it right here, and it's totally different. And similarly, the way that you will understand Jesus' expressions in the Gospels directly correlates to your understanding of the Old Testament. And we have churches who say things like, you don't really need the Old Testament anymore. We need to like drop the concern for the Old Testament. And I'm here to tell you, wrong. You don't understand what he just said without knowing the Old Testament. And I'm going to tell you today what Jesus was saying when he said this wasn't simply, you have fun at weddings and the bridegroom's with them. He's saying, I'm God. I'm the bridegroom. And these Pharisees who knew the Old Testament would be like, what did he just say? The bridegroom is taken away, we read in Isaiah 53, 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? He's making a messianic reference. And let's move on. If you paid attention during scripture reading in Isaiah 61, that last little verse, verse 5, it says, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons, Israel, marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Hosea chapter 2, verses 16 to 20, it says, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword from the war of the land, and I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justness, in steadfastness, lo steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. When Jesus said this to him, they heard this man is claiming to be God and God's salvation. That's what they heard. And listen, you know, I am a, I'm going to be real transparent with you. I am like the, the skeptic of everything supernatural, okay? I love physics and anything I even, when I read the Bible, when I hear stories, I'm like, yeah, I can explain that with physics somehow, right? Like in this stupid way, I take great confidence that when Moses parted the Red Sea, it's a strong east wind. This is where my, my brain goes. Why? Because it's how unbelief tends to manifest itself for me. When I read about Peter you know, walking on water, Jesus walking on water, I'm like, yeah. You know, one time I beached our little boat at Glendo Reservoir in Wyoming, which is like, and I beached it in the middle of the reservoir because there was a sand that had washed off the side of the mountain. And it was 100 yards to that shore and 100 yards to that shore. And my kids are walking around in half-inch deep water. And I've got pictures to show it looks like they're walking on water. This is what my heart does. I'm a skeptic. Now, when Jesus, and, but here's the paradox. When I read, if he did, that's pretty powerful, right? That's pretty powerful. If he did indeed walk on water, that's pretty powerful. And, I, and this is what I think happens to us in our contemporary context. We read that kind of thing and think that's amazing that he did that. He's probably God. And what the Pharisees heard was this. This 2,000-year-old book you're holding is about me. They didn't simply hear, he's powerful. They didn't simply think, that's, that's like a divine attribute. He is saying to them, that book you hold, those scrolls you read, that's about me. Remember, just in the chapter before this, he literally went in, opens the scroll of Isaiah, reads it. That's one of my favorite like, things to imagine. I like to imagine what things look like, like I'm watching. And I love to picture this one. Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah, rolls it up, hands it to the attendant, sits down. And everybody's staring at him. And then he says, that scripture's been fulfilled in me reading it. I, I just try to picture it and everybody being like, what? He's claiming that this book is about him and this would blow the minds of the Pharisees. So let us see him for who he is claiming to be in this passage. When he makes this statement, and, and I don't know about you guys, I love to see the clarity in the Trinity when it occasionally shows up. And it seems crisp because the Trinity is so complex to me and my 
futile little human brain. When I see I'm God and I'm God's salvation, and you get to see this being put together here, what a beautiful opportunity for us. So let's see it as a Pharisee would see it as we read on. Verse 36. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear away the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. But if he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So real quick, my, my next point is that Jesus is the new covenant, not a patch for the old I think the new garment thing makes sense. It's pretty explicit, and we can relate to that in modern times. But the wineskins thing, just, just to be real fast here, new wine into new wineskins because it's animal skin and it has to stretch with the fermentation of the wine. Once it's reached its elasticity, you put new wine in an old wineskin, it's going to burst because it can't stretch anymore. That's the simplicity. New has to go with new. Okay, now that's, that's the easy way to understand this, but as the prophets were listening to this, they may have at first thought, well, is he, is he a prophet? Bear with me, because this isn't in the text, and, I, I, and I'm not an eisegete, but I'm going to say this. I'm trying to give, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I think maybe in this occasion, as Jesus is saying this at first about the bridegroom being with him, he may be, maybe these Pharisees are trying to like think of him, you've probably heard like prophet, priest, and king as a way to understand who Jesus was, prophet, priest, and king. Maybe they thought he was a prophet, and they were like, well, maybe he has something to, to offer, giving him the benefit of the doubt. But then Jesus says this and says, well, you can't put the old into old. I mean, you can't put new into, into old. And when he makes this illustration, now he's trying to say something more so that they can't conflate the fact that what he is there is to add anything to this old covenant. Now, I want to use this illustration here so we can see in contemporary times how stupid this might be. I'm, I'm building, I love, this is going to be one of my, um, my illustrations for you today that is just for me because I love to talk about it. And that is being a bad preacher, but I'm going to do it anyways. I have a 1976 Jeep Wagoneer that my boys and I are building into like a rock crawler with 41-inch tires to drive up the mountains, okay, and like do crazy stuff. And I'm really excited, and we've been working on this for a while. Has anybody seen the new Wagoneers? They're incredible. They're also six figures, you know. Can you, ima- can you imagine if I bought this new Wagoneer, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a new Wagoneer for 115 grand, and then I'm going to start putting the parts off of it on my $700 1976 Wagoneer. And we would say, that would be stupid, right? That makes no sense. And I just want to be really careful here, but I want to say this. I, in fact, this, take this illustration maybe one little step further. Imagine, I don't, I'm not a props guy, um, but this is one of those occasions where I kind of thought it'd be cool to have a prop. Imagine I had like a Patagonia winter coat, and I started, I got up here, and I was holding it, and I said, a lot of us, when we hear about Jesus, we think, I don't want to go to hell, and heaven sounds good, and we we will cut heaven off of this new garment, and we'll just put it on our old shirt, and I think that's where a lot of Christians maybe tend to start, is they start with, you know, I don't, I want to go to heaven. Heaven sounds good, I'll take that from the garment, and I'm going to put it on my old garment. And then maybe you come to church for a little while, and you see that Christians tend to just be more joyful. And you think, you know, I, I want to be happy like that. And I'll, I'll take happiness off of the garment that Jesus offers, and I'll, I'll take the happiness. And then maybe a little bit longer or later in life, you go through like a tragedy, and you have a miscarriage, or you get a diagnosis for cancer, or you lose a child, or you get fired from your job, or whatever it may be, and your brain thinks, you know, God's in control. I can, I'll take the God's in control piece. I'll cut that off, and I'll put that on my old garment. And then for some of you, you get all the way to the point where you think, you know, I want God to be pleased with me, and so I'm going to serve in the church some. And you cut off the ministry piece of the garment, and you put it on your old garment. And I think we can fall into this as Christians oftentimes that we like to pick and choose from Jesus's new life and new garment which things that we'll take but we don't really want to give up the old garment it's comfortable and not ready for like the entirety of it now I want to be really careful here um, because I think there are two ditches you could fall in and hearing what I'm saying and here's one of them 
I believe that the Christian life is full of new revelations of God's grace and mercy that you don't see at first. I I believe his mercies are new every morning, and as you get older, you see them more clearly as a Christian who put your faith in Christ at some point, and you are, you have been changed, and you start to see new things. And my wife has a Burton ski coat that's really nice that we we ski a lot in, in Colorado, and after she's had this coat for four years, this past season, she gives me the car, the ski passes that are like the radio frequency, beep, you know, and says, we put these in the coats, and I said, yeah, I'm going to put them in, and as I open, I'm going to put it in the outside of her coat, and I notice it's laying there open, and there's this little pocket on the waist inside that's made for a ski pass to slide in, and I got so excited, and I was like, you have a ski pass pocket, you've been putting it in with your gloves, when you take your gloves out, it falls out, there's a pocket for it, and I was really excited, and here's my point, that pocket had been there for four years, I just hadn't seen it yet, and the Christian experience can be just like that, and you may receive Christ and be changed and not know all of the grace-filled benefits of the Christian life. And that may come later, but that is, a, that is different than picking apart the things that you want selectively and not submitting to the Jesus Christ of this book first. That's different. It's a different thing. And I, and I always feel compelled to caution people. And the other, some of you might be thinking like, you know, I was saved when I was seven. I don't really remember the old life that well. What about me? I can't connect this to like my, I don't know my old garment. You know, my, we have a college kid that works with our students at Overland Church in Fort College. His name's Justice Rogers. He's amazing. This kid is 20 years old and has the energy of like a 12-year-old. It's amazing. He's so fun. The kids love him. And I said to Justice one day, man, what, are you, what is it that is so attractive to you about student ministry? And listen to his answer. He said, the opportunity to give students boring testimonies. I thought that's profound. We, we want that, right? Like, I was saved at 35 years old, 34 years old. My brother was a severe addict, was saved at Teen Challenge, radical kind of salvation. I mean, and now he's like a counselor for them and had been in prison. And it's an amazing testimony that I don't want for my kids, right? So we long for our children to be saved young, but what happens? How, what's their frame of reference? And I don't want to oversimplify this because I feel like I could, but here's what I'm going to say. How do you know if you were saved young that you've put off the old self and have put on the new garment? And here's what I would say. You desire to eat with sinners? You desire it? I'm throwing in the word desire because I think there's probably a part of you, sometimes it's like, I don't have a lot of relationships in that world, and it's harder for me. Okay, but is there a desire to see Jesus made known? I think that's a good testimony to figure out, do I want other people to know what I know about Jesus? And I think that's a place we should all check our hearts and make sure that we're thinking about Jesus in that light. We're looking to Jesus to say, man, I love him. I don't deserve it. Right? I think without going into all the details here, I grew up in a Christian experience, and it wasn't until reading the Bible for what it said, John, Romans, Ephesians, especially chapters one and two, where it hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't choose where I lived. I didn't choose when I was born. I didn't choose the family into which I was born. I chose none of these things. And God saw fit to make himself known to me, and that made me feel so tiny because I had come from a Christian perspective of You earn your way into God's favor with moral Christian living. And then if you do that well enough, Jesus has paid for your sins. It's so contradictory. And then all of a sudden I see this version of like, you did nothing. You ought not know. And if that is sufficient for me to convict me about what does this mean? Well, I want other people to know this too because I ought not know it. And that is being a debtor to grace. And I hope that you feel the same thing. And as you look at what Jesus does in his own ministry, it is to see sinners and to eat with them and have his disciples eat with them. And we have such a luxury that our ministry experience can really legitimately be that simple. All right, what a fantastic opportunity for us. So now let's move into this, to this last point. We're going to pick up in verse 39. And no one, now this is wild, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. Now, I got to read about this, and apparently, like, scholars have been troubled over this for a couple of century, centuries now, not millennia, centuries. 
they've been confused over this. They think, oh, Luke didn't write it. And this comes out of like the whole textual criticism thing. And if I can just say anything that's like, you know, academic, don't buy into that garbage about textual criticism. I'll just put it that way. These people that come back centuries and centuries and centuries later and then base, base on the fluidity with which they understand something, determine whether or not it was authentic, don't buy into that, okay, first of all. But here we have this weird sentence because I think what we would expect Jesus to say is like, um, new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Desire the new wine. Desire the new garment. And then he says this instead. But, that's what I picture, but anyone after drinking old wine doesn't desire the new. The old's good. Now, I think that's terrifying. If that's what, if that's what Luke meant to write, and I believe that it is, that's terrifying. But he's done this over and over again, and if you've read the Gospels, you see this picture over and over again, right? Where the Pharisees come up and Jesus says the things that make them like scratch their heads like, is he excluding us? He said, the, the, the disciples say to him, why do you talk in parables? And Jesus says, well, I talk in parables so that things become more clear for you. That's not what he says. <laughs> he says, I talk in parables so that they don't understand. I think this is similar to that. I think what he's saying to the Pharisees is, you're good with the old. And Christian, I want to tell you that this is something we have to be so cautious of so we aren't just good with the old so we're not good with the old that if we look deep down we're not good with the old now listen i think in 2023 in america we have really enjoyed the luxury as christians of fooling ourselves into thinking that our life isn't good bear with me bear with me you see a lot of stuff on the news. You see, and I mean, I don't know if you guys know, Fort Collins, Colorado is in the Pooter, P-O-U-D-R-E. Yes, it's pronounced Pooter, and don't judge me. That's what it's pronounced. I've, I've triple-checked it. Pooter School District, which has made national news in recent months from people going in into the space of the transgender world and trying to convince kids in a very strategic way, meeting with like third-grade art classes to try to convince kids that their identity is disruptive. Okay, I'm not going to get into the details. And it's horrendous, and we all can sit here as Christians and believe it's horrendous, and we can be upset about it, and we can read the newspaper, and we can read CNN, and we can turn on Fox News, and we can watch whatever we want and come to a conclusion that this is crazy. What are we doing? And then we sit in our house, and we eat our meals, and we drive our cars, and we go to the park, and we come to church, and we enjoy our community and our friendships. And you know what? The fact of the matter is your life's pretty good. And we probably have some troubles here and there. But when I listen to the troubles of the people that even we support at Overland Church that they're dealing with in places like Malawi or Mumbai, and I hear what they're dealing with, I'm like, pretty good. My, no, my life isn't that bad. I gave you a skiing analogy. Get to go skiing. And I think if we're not careful, we can be the exact people to which Jesus is referring, which is, you know, if you're going to be honest deep down, do you feel like the old's pretty good? It's not that bad. And I want to caution us, but at the same time, I want to say, if that feeling has permeated your own feeling, take heart. Take heart, because sometimes wrestling off the old can be a real challenge. When I was eight years old, I climbed in the back of my grandmother's Dodge Caravan in, in order to scare her. Bad, I get it. I, go ahead. You can judge me for that. I slammed the trunk to close it because I knew she was going to open it, and I was going to go, bah! And I closed it. It pinched me between the back seat of the trunk and the back, the back seat of the car and the trunk, and I, and I couldn't move. And I, from that day on, have been claustrophobic, okay? I've been, like, terrified of tight spaces. My kids are, like, we're in, you know, in the mountains. We're climbing, they're like, look, we found a cave. And I'm like, not interested, terrified. But it's worse than that. I've got, I have a pair, like, when I'm working on my Wagoneer, I want to reference it one more time. When I'm working on this old beat-up Wagoneer, I wear a pair of coverall dickies that I can just get destroyed, right? And they zip up. Well, I don't know what I did, but somewhere right around here, I messed up the zipper a tiny bit. And I'll have this zipped up, and then I'm like, okay, I'm finished working, and I'll try to unzip it, and it'll get stuck. I know it's closed. It's just closed. I'm not in a cave. I know I'm not in a cave, and it's closed. But I have a panic attack almost every time. My blood pressure goes up. I start sweating, and I'm like, 
ah, and I'm ready to like barge in the door and be like, Brooke, help, I'm stuck in my coveralls. I'm terrified. I can't stand how it feels, right? And I've had to wrestle it off. Literally, I've had to like, she's like, I get pliers. She's like, I'm going to tear it. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. They're 50 bucks. I'll buy another pair. I can't do it. And I'm terrified. And here is my simple point, guys. Putting off the old and putting on the new garment isn't easy. It's not the snap of a finger. If it were, we wouldn't see Paul reference it all the time, telling the church, put off the old. If they've already put it off because it was a piece of cake, he wouldn't write to them and say such things. We know this is a challenge, but I'm telling you, this is a responsibility that we have is to take off the old, put on Jesus in grace. It is a thoughtful thing that we do. I, some famous theologian made this quote, and I wish I could reference his name, but I cannot remember, and somebody out here may know it, but he said, maybe it was John Stott, he said, the essence of the Christian life is the battle for the Christian's mind. And putting off the old and putting on the new is a decision that we make and it's necessary for us to make it. And when we make it, we will live in community with fellow believers. We will connect with them. We will do life with them. We will constantly be looking out to say, who needs to know about Jesus in my neighborhood? So here's what I want to close with. What does it mean if you haven't put on Jesus? Here's what it means. First of all, acknowledge the bridegroom. Acknowledge the bridegroom. Don't write Jesus into your own version of Jesus. John MacArthur said, when we started calling Jesus, Jesus, instead of Jesus Christ, he took on a different form than the Christ in a lot of churches. I think that's true. See him for who he is. He's the bridegroom. Number two, take off your old covenant, your idolatry. I'm going to say it, Georgia football. The only reason I say it, because I had a University of Kentucky basketball idolatry problem that the Lord legitimately freed me from. It's a real thing in my life. I'm not kidding. But you know the biggest idol in my life? It's me. My biggest idol is Buddy Sampson. Buddy Sampson loves to be in charge of Buddy Sampson and do what Buddy Sampson wants. Got to put off the old covenant. My pride. Your old self-righteousness, what you think you've done or accomplished. When you're a church planner, one of the things you wrestle with is, am I almost subconsciously putting God's love for me in the box that's marked, I'm a church planner? I left my friends for you, Lord. Look what I've done. Will I be the guy in Matthew 7 that says, look what I did in your name. Move to Durango. And he's going to say, never knew you. I don't want that for anyone. Don't put it in ministry. Take off the old covenant. Turn to faith in the bridegroom. Turn in faith to the bridegroom. Put on grace. Put on grace, the grace of Jesus, the blood of Jesus on the cross that covered your sins. Put it on. Feel the freedom, feel the peace that comes from it, the totality of it all. Take a deep breath and then eat and drink with sinners. That's it. The Christian life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your, for your word. God, that you could have saved us and you could have made yourself known to us and you could have left us without your Bible and the clarity that comes from your word. Lord, you, you could have left us in silos and instead you gave us the church, God, that as we sit and think about the terror of having people and inviting them into our life who don't know you, God, that we know you've given the church to help equip people in classes and from the pulpit, God, and in, in Sunday school and events, Lord. And I pray that this would be a church that, that comes together around what the church intends to do, which is to build up the people that they might turn out and seek the lost in their community, Lord. Um, God, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And I fear that sometimes we can we can look at places like Durango or Mumbai or Malawi and we can say, man, the harvest is ripe there, not realizing that the harvest is ripe in our cul-de-sac, God. And so I just pray there would be um, a revival in this community of Smyrna as a tremendously secular influence coming out of Atlanta and whatnot, God, has just has permeated this community that the people in this church would just be convinced that you are worthy of the discomfort of reaching people for the name of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is worthy 
that he is worthy, God, that he would receive the reward for his suffering, Lord, and that you would do that through the people in this church, God. I thank you for these people and their faithfulness to support the gospel to the ends of the earth. I ask that you would continue that, Lord. But deep down, deep down, Lord, would you unite the people here around a common aim of making Jesus famous. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up together as we sing. Eternal life is ours. 
I'll see your scars, your open arms, the beauty of your face. And through tears of joy, I lift my voice in everlasting praise. Hallelujah, Christ is risen from the grave. Such an awesome weekend for our students. Aren't you thankful for what the Lord has done? And uh, it's been so awesome just to, just to hear of how the Lord has worked. Buddy, thank you so much. You're just, you just blessed us tremendously, and we're just praying for you. We're praying for you as you go back. We're thankful for the three baptisms that you guys got to have at Overland. And it's incredible that we get to partner with these planters, and we get to hear what God's doing in their ministry. And when they get to come and pour into us here, it's just such a gift. So I just thank you for breaking away from Brooke and, and tell her thank you for giving you up to us this week as you guys have so much transition. We're just going to be praying for you all. Well, I hope that we'll remember these challenges that we heard this week. And students, that you'll remember that these old wineskins aren't worth it, that God has given you something new, and that you won't spend your time piecing together the old and the new, but you'll throw off the old. And I'm just grateful for what God taught you this week. I pray that it will just take root in your life, that you'll leave this place wanting to tell people about Jesus all week long and have an uncheckable faith. I'm just thankful for what the Lord did this week. Charles, why don't you dismiss? Are you going to, Adam, you're going to do it? Okay. No, we got to do our announcement, though. Yeah. If you're a guest with us this morning, we are delighted that you're here. It's a little bit different weekend as we wrap up D now for us, but we're so grateful that you're here with us this morning to, uh, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection here on the Lord's Day. We want to get to know you. There is a get, there's a connect card in every pew in front of you. You can take that out. Put your name and number on it, drop it in the boxes near the doors at the back, or you can use the QR code and the device that you brought with you, fill that out online. We want to get to know you, and that's the best way for you to leave a little bit of contact information to us, just so we can be your friend, get to know you, how we can best minister to you as you seek to find a place to worship Jesus Christ and a people to do that with. So thank you for being here this morning. Also, we have one final act of worship, and we want to give the first fruits of what God has given to us. And so if you would just, uh, if you're a member of Smyrna First, consider uh, giving that in joy and cheerfulness. Uh, there's several ways you can do that. Put it right there in the boxes near the doors at the back. You can go to our website, give online. You can text to give, or you can just mail that into the church office. We just ask that you do that with regularity and joy so that we can continue to reach uh, Smyrna and the nations for Jesus Christ. And as we're speaking about giving uh, what God has given to us, we really want to remember that we have a $30,000 goal this year for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Now, I'm going to put a real face to that. You just saw Buddy Sampson. And Buddy, the next few days for Buddy are going to be spent in Alpharetta as he goes for his for some of his training as a church planner at the North American Mission Board. When you give a dollar to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, that dollar goes directly to the North American Mission Board so that they can support people like Buddy Sampson planting churches in places like Durango. That's what's happening. And so when we have Kathy uh, Daniel here that represents the IMB, Buddy Sampson's representing what we do at, with the North American Mission Board. And so uh, let that just fall freely from your fingers as you give, and let's meet that goal so that we can continue to have uh, men, of the, uh, men and women like uh, Buddy and Brooke and others that have gone out to plant churches around uh, the U.S. where they're needed. Also, we have an, another giving opportunity, and that's that we would give to the, uh, the needs of Camp Hope. Uh, that's by Kids to Leaders, which is also one of our ministry partners. They equip children and minister to them and share the gospel with them. They're children that have incarcerated parents. They do a camp every summer. They need underwear, socks, bathing suits. You'll see a display out here in Grand Central. And uh, there's some information there, there that you can kind of see what you're needing to buy and give up. Um, but you need, when they need new clothes. If you would drop those off either today or next week, next week is the deadline. So bring some stuff for Camp Hope. Also, we have a way to reach our community, and that's coming up this Easter with our helicopter egg drop. We are going to have a good time throwing eggs out of a uh, helicopter. They're plastic eggs, not real eggs. That's a good distinction. Don't bring real eggs to us. Bring plastic eggs and bring candy. And uh, you can bring individually wrapped candy and plastic eggs, drop them in the bins all over the building. That is coming up April the 8th, the, the uh, Sunday right before Easter, uh, Saturday right before Easter, and we're going to have a really good time doing that. We want to be ready for that, so bring that by April 1st so that we can be ready. 
If you want to volunteer to serve at the egg drop, then that would be wonderful too. We're going to need a lot of hands on deck. That's one of those things that our whole church could come out and serve because we are meeting our community where they are. And so that's a good thing for us to do. Uh, it's a good uh, thing for people to come and see, but we want you to be a part of that. So consider serving. Call the church office. Call, talk to Dina, who's organizing that, and uh, let her know that you want to serve or let us know at the church office that you want to serve by April the 1st. Can you guys just say thank you for our youth leaders? If you're a youth leader, just raise up your hand. If you were a part of this weekend and you were leading this weekend, just put your hand up. And I'm so incredibly grateful that we've got some students that want to invest their um, talents and their time uh, to come and to rehearse on a weekly basis to lead our students in, in worship. And I'm so glad they got an opportunity to be with you this morning. Can you just thank our uh, student band as well? Y'all make sure to encourage them uh, and to love on them so that uh, really uh, let them know that they need to continue to pursue this passion uh, as they, uh, we're raising up the next generation to lead in the church. It's just a really exciting thing. So come up here and speak to them. Speak to your, the youth that are up here. Encourage them. Uh, and then are, are we sticking around for a picture up here? Okay. So students need to stick around for a picture. One last thing, and I promise I'll let you go. Downstairs. All the furniture and stuff that is usually in the student hall is downstairs. Charles and I don't want to do that by ourselves. We don't want to take it back upstairs. Can you hang around and go downstairs and help us bring stuff upstairs and then go to lunch? That'd be great. Thanks. All right. Um, all right. We're going to pray and then we're going to be dismissed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are the new wineskin the new wine. Father, we are so unworthy of such a gift, and yet you, by your grace, have fashioned us to be worthy. Not by making what we've done acceptable, but by taking our unacceptable deeds on yourself and giving us what is acceptable. And we receive it, Father, as your people. And this morning, we receive it anew. Father, help us in the joy of that knowledge to go out from this place speaking the gospel. Lord, help us to have an unction to go to our neighbors that we probably haven't spent enough time with and to invite them into our homes, to be with people who need Jesus. As Jesus has said, it's not the, the, it's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. So, Lord, use us as your ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation for your great glory through the power of your spirit, the glory of God the Father. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, we love you so much. You're dismissed.